You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Leanne Kiefer today. Leanne is a dental hygienist who has earned her master's degree in business management and is the educational director for Crostex International. Leanne will be speaking about dental masks, specifically SecureFit by Crostex. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Phil, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting Crosstext to participate. Yeah, our pleasure. Um, and you've been on other podcasts, and uh, we're very happy to have you back again. My first question is, the Crosstext SecureFit masks have been rated top mask by Dental Advisor. That's impressive. For multiple years, as a matter of fact. And my question is, what features make them so superior to the other masks? And this is not a setup question where we're making this into a commercial. I mean, it's somewhat commercial because we're talking about the mask. But masks are a big thing as far as safety and cross-contamination. And I know as a practicing dentist that all masks are not the same, which, which is something that I didn't know when I first started practicing dentistry. So that's one question. What are the features that make it superior? And also, why is the fit of a face mask so important? Great questions, Phil. And I think, you know, like you as a clinician, we put on masks every day when we're treating patients, and we get to the point – it's not that we don't care. We don't necessarily become complacent, but we don't always think about how important this portion of our PPE is to the enhanced safety and treatment with our patients. And so we do have to look at the mask design. We need to look at the fit, and we need to look at the filtration and make sure that we're choosing the appropriate mask for the task. You know, how long does the procedure take, and, you know, what's the level of aerosol that's going to be generated? And, you know, thank you in your introduction because you made reference to the SecureFit technology um, that Crosstex offers on many of our mass designs. And that has to deal with being able to make sure that the peripheral, the 360-degree fit around the clinician's face is secure. You want that full circumferential fit so that you don't have any openings or gaps, especially on the side of the face or underneath the chin. And when you think about some of our clinicians that um, maybe are of a smaller stature, their face is smaller, their face is more narrow, the mask can almost feel like it's too big for their face. And that's when we see clinicians do a trick that they have uh, sort of designed that's off-label use where they twist the ear loops before they put them over their ears. And what they're trying to achieve is a more secure fit. Mm -hmm. However, they are, are inadvertently causing a problem because when you bring the material that close to your face, to your nose and to your mouth, now as we're breathing and speaking to the patients, you're getting that mask wet from the inside and it's wicking. And once a mask material becomes wet, it can't do the job efficiently to filter or, pro or provide protection to the clinician. Mm -hmm. So they've tried to solve the problem, but they didn't go about it the right way. And that's why Crosstex you know, invested the time and the technology for SecureFit. And what is unique with that is there's an extra long aluminum strip, the nose piece that goes along, but we also have a secondary strip that's underneath the chin that allows for a closure to bring that 360 peripheral fit all the way around with no gaps. So this mask has been around a while. Um, and yes, it, it has. Has there been improvements to the mask over the years? And what I would say, Phil, is improvements to materials. You know, the design is unique to Crosstex. We're the first ones that came out with this on the market. Mm -hmm. But we've done things like we've changed the ear loops on the mask because our ear loops um, are sort of flat and soft instead of being the typical round like you would see. Because 
when I put my glasses on and I have to rest it on top of the ear loops, when they're round, it puts pressure points. When it's soft and flat, it allows my glasses or my loops or whatever to sit comfortably on my face. No, I, I totally, totally relate to that. You know. I, I felt those pressure points. No, that's a great sure. point. The other thing that we did that I thought was unique, um, you know, we moved the attachment of the ear loop masks to the outside of the mask. Most face masks put the attachment on the inside where those little points are actually resting on the four points on your chin and your cheek. And we're seeing patients are developing a contact dermatitis because of that constant irritation. So we simply moved them to the outside. Hmm. Okay. Patient-friendly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here's a question. What, what tests or ratings should a clinician rely on to ensure a mask is safe? And the reason why I ask this, um, you know, we've heard of ASTM standards, and, and, and I'd like you to, to elaborate on all that. But it's tempting for an owner of a practice who's approached by a sales rep to say, hey, you know, you can buy five cases of these masks for X amount of dollars. And when they compare them to some of the premium masks, they're significantly less expensive. So, you know, the clinician has to look at prices, obviously, but you can't uh, put a price or value on, on obviously safety from cross-contamination. So these tests, these ASTM standards, is that the correct term that I'm using? regarding the how, the how the mask is rated? Absolutely, Phil. Those are the ASTM are, it's an international standards organization that develops voluntary technical standards. So manufacturers are not required to do this. So when you have a manufacturer that has invested in having their materials evaluated, and that's an important point, Phil, ASTM only evaluates the materials that are used in the construction of the mask. They do not evaluate the design nor the fit. Mm -hmm. And ASTM only relates to the medical, I mean, the, the face masks that we talk about, the standard face mask. ASTM does not um, evaluate like the N95 res respirators. That's a NIOSH. That's a whole separate category in another discussion. But they look at five different features or five different performance features of that mask material and they rate them so that we can choose the appropriate level, and there are three levels in the ASTM standard, that we would choose based on the task, again, having to deal with the amount of aerosol that's genera generated and the length of time that we might be wearing that mask. I would encourage clinicians because, you know, we're all very visual people. That's part of uh, our nature. So, you know, take time to go online and, and look for the information on ASTM standards. You'll see the five tests. They're going to look at filtration efficiency, obviously. We want to look at microorganism or bacterial filtration. But in dentistry, it's also important for us to look at particulate filtration because we have pieces of tooth structure, restorative materials, calculus, that may be in some of the, the aerosols that are being generated. We're also going to look at fluid resistance, um, how, fluid, how, how resistant is the, are the outer layers to preventing the fluid from penetrating through to the inner layers next to the clinician's face. And then um, the last two would be the breathability. Um, it's called delta P. So what is the air exchange rate? And then last but not least is flame spread or flammability. So I, I think to give you easy numbers, Phil, with bacterial or particulate filtration, you're looking for greater than 95%. So on a, on a level one mask, you're going to have a 95% or greater bacterial filtration. 
on the higher level, the level two and level three, you may have a 98% or greater. You will never have a mask that has 100% filtration because, again, they're materials. So you're not going to have 100%. Mm -hmm. And those 95 and 98 refer to the percentage of the uh, items that are kept on the outside of the mask. So if you have a 98% efficient mask, 2% can penetrate through. But then that goes back to our whole chain of infection thing that you have to have enough of an organism present to be able to transmit disease. So theoretically, less than 2%, you probably aren't going to have enough to generate disease. So you don't, you don't reach that critical mass, what we call critical mass. So um, my question is, you know how you, in dentistry there's universal composites and everything is going towards simplifying inventory where a dentist, mm -hmm. um, you know, wants to buy less of, he doesn't want to buy two, 25 boxes of composites and bonding agents if he could buy three boxes that does almost everything. So is there sure. a mask, uh, an ASTM level mask that, that Crosstech sells that would be like a universal mask for the general dentist? Or is he, he or she expected to buy various types of masks based on the different procedures? Phil, my, my whole team teases me because I use the word best practices all the time. And so I'm going to reference best practice with mass selection. We really need to look especially at fluid resistance because that's a differentiating factor. You know, 95 to 98% is not a big, you know, change factor that's going to make me go one way or another between a level one and a level three. But fluid resistant, they measure that sort of in terms of, um, it's like blood pressure. They measure it at 80, 120, and 160 milligrams of mercury. So a level three is going to be resistant at 160 milligrams of mercury, where a level one is going to be resistant to 80 milligrams of mercury. So if I'm thinking as a dental hygienist and I'm seeing patients and I'm using an ultrasonic 20 to 30 minutes out of my patient time, I'm generating the highest level of aerosol of all the dynamic instruments in the practice. So do I want a face mask that is resistant at a level of 80 to fluids, or do I want one that's twice as resistant at a level of 160 to fluids? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So for a dental hygienist, uh, for sure, they, they have to be careful about selecting the proper mask. I mean, there's still a lot of aerosol that's created by a general dentist just by drilling a tooth. Um, but it seems like the ultrasonic activity of a hygienist is even greater aerosols created. Is that right? It's a greater amount. It's also smaller aerosols where the handpiece, the high-speed handpiece, is going to create, you know, well, microns larger for splatter and splash. However, think about the length of the term of time of the appointment, Phil, when they're doing some major, re, you know, restorative, and they're in the chair for 90 minutes. You know, how well is a level one mask going to perform for 90 minutes as compared to a level three mask? Right. So my recommendation to answer your question is I think offices need to have at least two levels of mask in their practice. Yeah. You know, my, my recommendation would be a level three for those procedures that have moderate to high aerosols or longer periods of time. A level one mask would be perfect for things like a hygiene check, taking radiographs, you know, an orthodontic wire change where you're not generating a lot of aerosols. Right. No, that's a fantastic answer. Um, that makes total sense. Um, so when you, let's say a doctor's buying a premium mask, the question is how frequently should, should the mask be changed? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's something, maybe I'm just a cheap guy or something, but from, if I know I'm wearing a, a very expensive premium mask and I see a patient for a minute, it just, it kills me to take it off and throw it out. But um, <laughs> so what, what is the, the proper protocol for that? Well, Phil, best practices and yep. CDC guidelines. 
Masks are a single-use disposable product, should be worn for one procedure or one patient only. Okay, so uh, whenever one I... One and done. Right, okay, so so maybe I should go back on what I said and make sure everybody understands that every... Actually, I don't practice anymore, so everybody's safe. Um, so let's let me end up this uh, great podcast with this last question. Um, can you elaborate or explain the three D's of face masks, uh, which is donning, doffing, and disposal? Yes. I think there's some interesting nuances that I've learned since being with Crosstex that we don't always think about how we put things on and take them off because we do it multiple times during the day. When you take the mask out of the box, the ma the layer that's on the top facing out of the box is the outside layer. And the reason I say this, if you're using masks that are all white, because now there are masks on the market that are like ultra sensitive, that there's no colors or dyes. And so it's hard to determine which is the, which is the right side out, which is the side that goes toward the patient. So when they go in the box, the outside is what you see on the top. They also want to make sure there's been some new theory that they should mold the nose piece across the bridge of their nose, around the corners of the eyes, and across the orbits, and then attach the ear loops, which seems counterintuitive to the way we've always done it. You put the ear loops on, but what happens nine times out of ten we're seeing is if clinicians put the ear loops on first, they simply pinch the bridge of the nose. And when they pinch that bridge of the nose, they create a little TP opening at the top. It's not molded to the nose. And the most contaminated part on a clinician's face is between the eyes and around the nose. And so that's why you really want to make sure that nose piece fits. You also should expand the mask, the pleats in the mask, before you try and put that nose piece on. And then with the Crosstex Secure Fit, obviously the last step you would take would be to, you know, take the chin piece and close it to get that 360 fit. Mm -hmm. When we remove the mask, please don't touch the front of the mask and or do the one ear you know, sling off the face. They should actually use their index fingers below the earlobes and then pull down on the ear loops and then lift the mask up and away from the face for it to be disposed of. Hmm. I'm wondering how many people actually practice that way. That, that's very good information. Boy, I think yeah. out of anybody I know in the whole world, you are the most knowledgeable person on <laughs> dental face masks because uh, the way you describe this, it's just uh, incredibly informative on the details. It's fantastic stuff. I hope our listeners appreciate it. Um, anything else you want to comment on before we uh, end this Viva podcast? And Phil, again, you know, if, you're, if your listeners want to get more information on our Viva partner website, we have a mask face the facts uh, webinar that goes over all ASTM and proper choice and selection. So that's available through Viva Learning as well. Yeah. What's the web? Website. Is that crosstextacademy.com? That one's actually crosstextlearning.com, okay. Phil. Okay, crosstextlearning.com. And I believe you have another training curriculum called crosstextacademy.com. We do, and that's the unique six-course sterility assurance program on the six different steps for instrument reprocessing, and that's been our flagship program with Viva Learning. We're, we're very proud of that program. Okay, great, great. We're, we're glad to be part of, a part of it and helping you with that as well. Thank you again, Leanne, so much, and I uh, hope to see you on our podcast soon. Thanks for having Crosstext, Phil.